Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk about all things leadership, life, lessons. And we tend to like to do that in the arenas of sports, of music, of authors, pastors, just comedians, just folks with great stories and, and great conversations to be had. So today I'm, I'm blessed with, with the work I do during the day. I, I lead a, a men's ministry called The Gathering of the Miami Valley, and our tagline is connecting men to men and men to God. And today's guest is a guy who has uh, thrived in that arena for three or four decades now, Pat Morley, or Patrick Morley. I, I tend to call him Patrick. I know that a lot of people he's Pat, and he's written a book way back when, called Man in the Mirror. I always have to joke with people that if you go to Amazon or Google Man in the Mirror, one of two people will come up, Patrick Morley or Michael Jackson. Nobody ever Googles my name and comes up or something about me and comes up with Michael Jackson. But with Pat Morley, you get that. So he has uh, been a a leader uh, out front of the ministry to men for years through books, through his own personal Friday. I think it's Friday mornings with Bible study and a whole lot of other things. So Pat, welcome. Thanks for being with us on the Pinkleton Poolside podcast today. Jeff, thank you. And uh, greetings to all your listeners. It's really good to be with you. An honor. So uh, let's get in. I always want to start with a three-minute testimony. So for anybody who's not heard your story, give us the three-minute testimony. Uh, okay. Should I put a timer on that then? <laughs> 163, 162. No, you're good. Well, the upshot is I grew up in a Christian home that didn't know Christ, if that makes any sense to you. I never heard the words, I love you, I'm proud of you, I believe you, I never remember being hugged. And we were a nonverbal family, not very affectionate. My parents are extremely nice people. I later came to realize that the problem was that they were never discipled or trained on how to be parents. My dad was abandoned when he was two years of age, the youngest of four kids. And when he became a man, having never felt the scratch of his father's whiskers, never having heard his father's voice read him a bedtime story, never having his hair tussled or throwing a ball in the backyard or hearing a truck door slam at the end of the day, signaling that his dad had arrived back home, uh, he basically had to guess at how to be a dad to me and my three younger brothers. And uh, thing kind of went off the rails. I, I quit high school. My next brother followed in my footsteps. He eventually died of a heroin overdose. And my other two brothers have had far more than their fair share of troubles. And then I met Patsy, my wife. Now we've been married for 49 years. And my wife is responsible for me becoming a, a follower of Jesus. She wanted to marry a Christian. I tried to convince her that I was because I had grown up in this religious home. So basically, I tricked her into thinking I was a Christian. I think she wanted to be tricked because she liked me too. But within a couple couple of weeks of our wedding date, it was pretty clear that we had an ambiguity of terms Mm. about what it meant to be a Christian. 
And so because some young guys uh, in a church, a local church, took an interest in me, I had a far different experience than my dad. And they took me under their wings and discipled me and showed me the ropes on how to be a godly man, husband, and father. And so that's how the process of becoming a follower of Christ came about. But then over the coming years, I just became absolutely convinced that if we could help men know Jesus and grow in their faith, that the following would happen. If you, if you get men right, you get marriages right. If you get marriages right, you get families right. If you get families right, you get churches right. And if you get churches right, you get communities right. And if you get communities right, you really do have a chance to change the world. So in some sense, we need to work with all these groups, but in some sense, it really is about the man. Two minutes, 58 seconds. <laughs> That's great. Boom. boom. That, is, that deserves a big boom. I, will, I wish we had the gifts and emoji that could fly around and we could see them right now. So, you know, Pat, I, I love that. I think you're one of those guys to me that if people didn't know any better, that there'd be a little shocked to hear your testimonies is what it is. It wasn't just like this young, came to Christ super early, family history, you know, whatever. Like, you know, you wonder... And I think this is probably true of anybody's story, but you wonder with your story, if your story would have been significantly different, more in a safer, more positive, not as much tough stuff in it kind of route, if you'd be doing what you're doing today and have that philosophy, which you shared that with me before about, and I, I know you've shared it in books, get the man right, get the marriage right, get the family right, get the church right, get the community right. I wonder if that same thing would be burning with you if you would have had a different story. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, I think probably... We'd be talking instead. I'd be interviewing over one of the business networks instead of with you, because that was my first career was in real estate development. Um, no, here's here's the bottom line, and I think this is true for, for perhaps for you, and but you know Phil Elmore, and of course that's how we know each other, and all the man and the mayor's staff. I think almost to to the person, man or woman, we are all drawn to this ministry because we have suffered greatly. Mm. And so here's a little sentence for you who are listening today. See if this doesn't make sense. I found this to be true. Maybe you will too. Suffering compels us to seek the God that success makes us think we don't need. Hmm. And God in his mercy and grace allows us to go through things. I mean, he even tested the Israelites, you know, out in the wilderness to see what was in their hearts. And I think he allows things, you know, the Bible says that uh, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Uh, he says elsewhere that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. So there's something about suffering in the way that God uses it to to make really good people. Uh, people, as a friend of mine says, hot fire makes good steel. Mm, wow, that's good. So yeah. let's let's ask you this: You're 73 currently. What is ministry life, writing life, rest, man in the mirror, personal you know, ministry to, to men, family, harmony? What does all that look like putting that together these days for you? Well, first of all, it looks really good. I'm a hard worker. I've always been a hard worker. I, I still work full time. My calling is to take God's message of love to a broken generation. And the, the strategy that it gave me to do that is to commit myself, or a guiding principle, if you will, is to commit myself to a life of devotion and study of God, comma, then, in my case, speak, teach, and write about what I'm learning. So speaking, teaching, and writing 
has always been what I've done tactically to uh, fulfill this calling of taking God's message of love to a broken generation. That said, I have not been the CEO of Man in the Mirror for over six years. We have a wonderful CEO, Brett Clemmer. He's doing a great job. We have a great leadership team. I'm the uh, executive chairman, executive chairman. The word executive just means that I still work in the ministry. So I've been the primary content creator for these last 35 years. We now have some new people coming on uh, board who are involved in helping create content. And that's a, a big transition area over the next five years. So according to the Internal Revenue Service actuarial table, oh, no, no, Social Security actuarial tables, uh, a 73-year-old man, his life expectancy is 86. So I've got a few good years left, and I plan to write a book a year to, to see if I can prove it. Really? That is that is part of the plan is a book a year, huh? Yeah, that's the core plan. I read the Bible cover to cover every year. I'm in my 35th year, and uh, I teach a Bible study called the Man in the Mirror Bible Study. It's uh, you know also online, and I've been doing that the whole time. I'm going to con continue to do that. And then uh, a book a year, a book a year. Plus about 8,000 other things that yeah. people ask me to do. Exactly. Are each of your books that you have left that you feel like you're right, are they all geared towards men or some of them gonna, is any of them going to go off a different direction? No, I'm a men's author. I, that's my lane and I'm sticking to my lane. That's the lane God has blessed. We have 7 million books in print. That's a lot of books. And uh, I think part of the reason is because we have stuck with, uh, I'm a one trick pony. Mm. That's bottom line. And I have one trick and this is my trick. Well, books. you know, what's interesting. I I've, I've shared this. I, I combined two quotes that I really like a lot. And I've used this before on this podcast, you know, that Carrie Newhoff says we need to be okay and understand we're only going to be great at a couple things. And John Acuff also says we, we need to be okay with we're going to suck at a couple things. I think merging those two worlds together, knowing you're going to be not good at a couple things and be okay with that. Uh, one of my previous guests started talking about a couple things he said he wasn't good at. And I stopped him. I said, no, no, I didn't say two things you're not good at. I said two things you suck at. And then we got to you know really realize we're going to be good at a couple things. And I do, I do think that's a great trademark of why I respect you the way I do, Pat. And what you've done that's provided fruit because you're not trying to do everything. You're here it is. Here's my lane. Here's the one trick pony. And you know, one trick pony almost is sometimes used as a negative. I think in your case, it's anything but that. So I want to go back and talk generationally a little bit with you since you've been around for a while. My friend James Brown, it's CBS Sports. He he breaks life because he's got a football background into four quarters. And he said our first quarter is kind of birth to 18. Second quarter is kind of 18 to 36. Third quarter is 36 to 54. Fourth quarter would be 54 to 72 based on life expectancy or whatever. Anything and everything else. Well, he's just saying that because he's not 73. Fourth quarter. <laughs> well, but see, you're you're in overtime. And what I love about what you've already said is you're you're looking to bear a lot of fruit in uh, overtime. So can you look at some of those and maybe think back over your life and some of those quarters and what were some benchmark, maybe terms you would use if you could put a word or phrase on those quarters and then maybe really term where you think you are right now is maybe probably hitting a stride right now. Yeah. So I'd say the first quarter is broken. I grew up as a broken boy. Then the uh, second quarter is ambition. Mm. And perhaps 
unfocused ambition. Uh, by the time I was 35, I had built one of Florida's 100 largest privately held companies. Uh, I guess I was chasing demons more than I was chasing mm. money, I think. Uh, I just wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be recognized. So kind of a blind ambition. And then the, uh, the third quarter, I would say, is productivity, gospel productivity. In my third quarter, we, uh, we helped so many men all around the world. We, we've worked with 35,000 different churches in one way or another. And so very productive. I would say the fourth quarter has been mentoring and passing on wisdom. That's more than one word, I guess. But really helping the next generations of leaders to emerge. And then I think this overtime that we're in is really just the supervision and oversight of watching man in the mirror, the organization, really be entrenched as an enduring organization. When we started this, Jeff, I looked at the need and there were six, over 60 million men in the United States that made no profession of faith in Christ when I got started. And so when you look at the size of that need, you can't start an organization big enough to meet that need, right? But you can establish a beachhead. So we started a beachhead and we decided to focus on primarily men who are cultural Christians, either have one foot just inside or just outside the, the door of the church and to really help the cultural Christians. And I think we did uh, really help a whole generation of men who are cultural Christians to figure out what it meant to be biblical Christians. Uh, We taught, uh, I I say it all the time, I probably said it the last time we were together, but the, the most important lesson that I've ever learned in my life, I learned in the middle of a business crisis, I was sitting around the rubble one day and this thought went through my mind And so, listeners, just see if this doesn't make sense to you. This was the idea. There is a God we want, and there is a God who is. They are not the same God. And the turning point of our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. is. That makes sense? Amen. Yeah, so it just dawned on me one day, you know, Morty, what were you thinking? Did you really think that any amount of you wanted to reinvent God in your imagination was going to have one iota of impact on his unchanging nature and character. And I realized that what I needed to do is uh, I needed to come humbly to the foot of the cross. And every day, which I is one of my prayers every day, is to make a full, total, complete surrender of my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So now at Man of the Mirror, this overtime, we have, by God's grace, I mean, I'd like to say we were really smart, but most of the things that we've done that have worked found us, we didn't find them. And something that found us, we call it Mirror Labs. It's the uh, R&D division of Man in the Mirror. And it's really helping figure out how to reach younger guys in their 20s and 30s. Our director is 36. He's a former pastor, former missionary. He has an elegant mind. And he's extremely innovative, and he has an original mind. And he uh, is really good at content creation. So I feel like for the first time in 35 years, Man in the Mirror has a content creator other than me. Now, we've had people creating content, but you know what I'm saying? Somebody just gets out of bed and wants to do it. You know what I'm saying? 
So we're, we're just about there in almost every respect to uh, in overtime here to make an enduring organization so that this need, we can continue to meet this need. Because the one thing I did not want to do, and this is the final thing I'll say, I just always thought that the need was greater than a one-generational effort by one man. So here's a question for you. As you speak and you look at your life, when you got serious about the Lord and through your wife's push or how she was living her life, you got serious about the Lord. I can't say I'm a big believer in we live a life with no regrets. I think that's ideal. I think that's a desire. I think that's a want. But I think at some point, most of us are going to look back over our lives and have regrets. I can't imagine you have many regrets. Do you look back over your life when you just said some of the stuff you said, you defined your quarter so well. I mean, you've really been a man with a mission on purpose, focused. Are there regrets in your life, back? No, there are not. Even the things that went wrong, I, I can see how God used them as building blocks in creating character. Uh, God is more interested in, I believe this is true, that God is more interested in the success of our character than in the success of our circumstances. Mm. Now, now, listeners, don't hear what I didn't say. I didn't say that God is not interested in the success of our circumstances. He most definitely is. That's abundant life and all of that. But God will never give us circumstances at the expense of our character. Amen. So character first. Amen. Amen. You mentioned our friend Phil Elmore, who I was blessed and had the pleasure <clears throat> to help connect with you guys. And he's now leading uh, Man in the Mirror in the Dayton area. He's the area director. He's been down your way a few times. And I remember back in the day when I was much, much earlier on the gathering staff and we were a national organization and I was in a celebration hotel for one of our fall uh, times together as a staff. I remember hearing about this thing coming out called Man in the Mirror. And I was familiar with you. I was familiar with your book because we had used it here in Springfield, Ohio and in Miami Valley in our area. And I remember in the room, there was a little bit of a thought and I knew it just, it, it hit me wrong that some people had this attitude like, will he really stick? Will they really stick? Will this really make it? Or is this a passing fad? And I remember we, we had a break and I went to a computer there in the Celebration Hotel and looked up what you guys had put out. That was very introductory. And this was really before things got rolled out, but it had a business plan and a model. And I thought, now here's something he's got. We don't a, a very well thought out, not put together overnight business plan. There was some real vision there and you had done a lot of significant stuff with books. Well, suffice it to say, we're no longer a national organization. There's three of us on a local level that still exist. And Man in the Mirror, at least as an outsider looking in, you guys are doing really well. Now, clearly, not everything's perfect. You guys got your own things you're working through as a bigger organization. But you guys have bore fruit and you've had success. What do you think has allowed that to happen? I mean, clearly, you've put good, right people around you. But for it to happen, to sustain, to grow, and to last, and you're focused on all those areas. Talk to some of the things that maybe you've done right as an organization. Well, there are some first principles. Let's just, let's just picture you have a dashboard in front of you, if you're listening. And I have three dials on my dashboard. And I'm going to tell you what they are. The first is the mindset of a steward. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Now to whomever has been given the trust, they must be found faithful. So a trust is something to manage your steward. So whoever has been given something to look after must be found, what? Successful? 
No, must be found faithful. So God does not call us to produce a particular outcome. He calls us to be faithful. So on the first dial, there's a question. Anytime I'm making a decision, deciding what to do, I look on the dial and the question is this, what does faithful look like mm. in this situation? Right? Then the second dial, I would call the mindset of a servant. In Luke chapter 17, verse 10, after talking about a little parable about a master being out in the field and coming in and having the servants take care of him and feed him and so forth, in verse 10 of Luke 17, he says, Now you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And so on this second dial, I find that most people are asking the question, what do I want? I think a servant is asking a different question. A servant is asking, what does the master need? Mm. What does the master need? Not what do I want, but what does the master need? So what does faithful look like? What does the master need? And then on the third gauge or the third dial of this dashboard, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14 is my life verse. Do everything in love. Do everything in love. And the question on the third gauge is, in this situation, the question is, what would love do? So what does faithful look like? What does the master need? And what would love do? And I think if you can get those three things right, <laughs> everything else, I mean, there are lots, obviously, lots of other issues, you know, hiring practices and fair pay and good leadership and good organizational structure, good products, knowing how to market and get to markets and get good finance, good fundraising, all those things. Those are the mechanics. But I think if you can uh, lead by these large questions, then uh, I think this is how we got where we are. I don't know if you could tell I was furiously taking notes while you were doing that. It kind of reminded me of the latest book Andy Stanley has because he has the one question I've always loved about what is the wise thing to do. But I, I want to go back since I took notes yeah. and say again what you said. You said you're kind of dashboard. There's three things on your dashboard and making decisions and particularly organizationally. But I think they apply to all things. You said, what does faithful yeah. look like in this situation? Most people ask the question, what do I want? You ask, what does the master need? And then the third one is, what would love do? I'm not sure where that's not applicable to any and all situations. Like I'm at Panera, if I'm debating on how to best encourage my girl behind the counter ringing me up for a coffee and a bagel, that would apply. If it's, yeah. you know, you name it, I think that's just a great way to think. Has that been ever yeah. poorly received? Well, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, no. So decision-making, uh, when you think about it, everything kind of boils down to God's will. Every, I mean, what people who are followers of Jesus really want to do with their lives is they want to discover, discern, understand, and do God's will. And in order to do that, you have to make good decisions. I think those three questions help us make good decisions you know, it's fascinating because I meet with guys every week, all week, uh, and inevitably it's some decision that is 
trying to be made. Yeah, that's not always true. It's a combination of either they're trying to make a decision or they're hurting and wounded about something. But for the, for the guys that are making decisions, it always seems that they are not moral decisions. Guys know what they're supposed to do morally. So there are two kinds of decisions. There are moral decisions and priority decisions. Mm. So moral decisions, if you're listening now, think about this. Moral decisions are yes and no, yes or no, yes or no decision. It's a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do. But priority decisions are different. They're yes and yes, yes or yes decisions. So you're standing at a fork in the road and you can go to the left or you go to the right. Well, if it's a moral decision, there's only one direction. But if it's a priority decision, you can take either fork in the road and you won't be wrong. So, listeners, there are some things in the Bible that are specifically commanded or prohibited and they must be obeyed. Those are moral things. Everything else is freedom. Or in the Latin term in theology, we call it the adiaphora, A-D-I-A-P-H-O-R-A, adiaphora. So you have the black and the white, and then you have the gray. Well, guess what, guys, gals? <laughs> there are a few moral decisions that you might be confused about, but the vast majority of decisions we make in, in, during the day are priority decisions, yes or yes. Blue car, red car, this school, that school, this woman to marry, that woman to marry. Buy in this neighborhood, that neighborhood. Take this career, take that career. Live in this city, live in that city. By far and away, the vast majority of decisions are not moral decisions. And so in moral decisions, the guiding principle is obedience because there's a, a right and a wrong. But in priority decisions, the guiding principle is wisdom, wisdom. And that's where I think asking these questions what does faithful look like? What does the master need? And what would love do? Help get you to wisdom and then a better understanding of what God's will is in that situation. Wow. I just gave you my whole life philosophy in one three-minute block there. I'm trying to be gracious because I've had a lot of great guests on here. And they've all added great value to me just from sitting, you know, having this kind of conversation for 50 minutes. But it, likely I've read this before. Likely it might have came up when we had a lunch series that you did for the gathering a year and a half ago or whatever, but man, this is really hitting me right time, right place, right everything. I can tell there's an offline conversation we need to have beyond the moment. Happy to do that, by the way. Wonderful. I'll take you up on that. When scripture talks about letting your yes be yes and your no be no, I've said this before and I'm not trying to be flippant when I say this, but I really think as followers of Jesus, if we live that verse out on a regular daily flow, I think we would see revival in our communities, in our personal lives, in our families. The list goes on and on. I think there's something to be just said about let her yes be yes and her no be no. It seems like you've done that well. What is your funnel these days? How do you determine what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to? Not only from the perspective of how you're doing it now, what would you encourage people to be thinking about when they do it? Because I'm sure it'll lend back into some of those three questions you just asked. But Talk about your yes be yes and your no be no funnel. Hmm. Well, the first thing I guess to say is that my life word is integrity. You know, if uh, I think it was Senator Alan Simpson said, former Senator Alan Simpson said one time, he said, if you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. So it really does uh, in life a 
a man who lets his yes be yes and his no be no is, uh, I would say this by way of explanation, the most unpredictable part of my career, the single most unpredictable part of my career has been who's going to do what they said they would do. And I have people make promises to me and you do too and everybody does. And then they just don't keep them. And they're not people of their word. Their yes is not yes and no, uh, you know, and so forth. And so I think just living a life of integrity, uh, I define integrity this way. Integrity is a one-to-one correlation between my Bible, my belief, and my behavior. So my Bible tells me how to live. And then I either believe that or don't. And then if I believe it, then it works its way into my behavior. My experience has been that people do what they want, even if you're paying their salaries. So when I'm doing an employment interview with somebody, I don't really spend much time telling them what I want them to do or what the company wants them to do or the ministry wants them to do. I spend most of my time trying to figure out, okay, well, what is it that you want to do? Because I know that even if they get the job, Six months down the road, they're going to have gravitated to do what they want to do because people do what they want. So I think that's, uh, that's important uh, just in the area of integrity, of, of not trying to pretend that you are somebody that you're not. That's, uh, that's the best way to make that you're SBS and you're never know, Amen. or one of the best ways. Amen. So now we're going to go off track here a little bit. We're going to do a thing I like to call the rapid five, five kind of simple, silly What's some meat kind of questions to them to get to know you a little better? So, Patrick, what I didn't look at them on purpose, by the way? Oh, okay, okay. Well, well, well you're getting fresh then. What is your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Peanut butter. Wow. Okay. I mean, how, when you say it like that, how could anybody else not go with that? Did you like crunchy? I mean, it's like you know, if you if if that's not your favorite childhood snack, where did you grow up? Exactly. Exactly. Did you like crunchy? Did you like smooth? Did you like a certain brand? I like the uh, crunchy with the peanuts, little pin pieces in there. You have uh, you've thought about this. I think you've had some peanut butter over the years. Is that fair to say? Well, I still do. <laughs> do you like? So I've become a fan of almond butter. Do you like almond butter at all? I like almond butter too. Wow. In fact, I uh, eat. I have a handful of almonds every day. I for think- just. Perfect health food, right? I think you had some right before we got on here, didn't you? No. Oh, I thought I saw you nibbling on some almonds. Did you see something stuck in my teeth or something? (laughs) I thought I saw you nibbling something right before we got on. Um, Next one, outside of your own books, what is your favorite book to gift to other people? Oh, to gift to other people? You said outside of my own books. Yeah, you can't can't say your own. I don't really give any books away except my own, but I guess if I was going to give one away, it would be, well, depending on the situation, The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis is my favorite all-time book. I mean, obviously, a lot of people go to different books of his. I can think of The Great Divorce. I mean, there's many that they would go to. I don't know that I've heard many say that. Why would you say that book? Well, I'm a lifelong migraine headache sufferer, and I was one day I was in Texas somewhere, and I had the book. And it was a long flight back on a little bumpy plane to get to Dallas or wherever. And then I'm back to Orlando. And I got a migraine headache at the beginning of the day. And I read the book while I had the headache. Mm. <laughs> but uh, no, his, uh, his uh, grief observed is about his uh, wife, Joyce, uh, and the feelings and so forth that suffering brought up. But the problem of pain is 
more of, of a, uh, a theological understanding of pain. I, you know, honestly, I'm not sure that anything's ever been said in any book that isn't some, hasn't somehow been first said in some way by C.S. Lewis. Seems like it. He's just a brilliant guy, you know. Mm, wow, that's good. So let's let's say I'm gonna have to change this question a little bit. So let's say your family grandkids, whoever you got, the, any young ones you've got potentially on a trip and you're going for a long drive. Let's say you're coming up to visit us, great Ohio people. And let's say you make it somehow to Tennessee or you're, you're in Kentucky or somewhere and you, you got to stop and you had it planned that you were going to stop at such and such exit, but maybe traffic or someone had to go to the bathroom and you got to stop like 10 minutes sooner than you planned. And you look at the exit sign and the options are McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, and for the purpose of this argument, let's assume In-N-Out Burger was one of the options. Where would the Morley clan go? The next exit. <laughs> you got to stop. I mean, you don't have that as a possible. You're not going okay, to make- Chick- We'll go with Chick-fil-A. We like Chick-fil-A. Have you been to In-N-Out Burger? <laughs> uh, yes, I have. Did you like it? Did you think it was overrated? What was your take oh, on it? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's lovely, but we just don't have them down here. Yeah. Wow, nobody's ever answered the question. I'm going to the next exit. Well, I'm not. I'm a. I'm not a fast food person. Yeah. I, uh, you know. So, well, let me see. I guess, I guess Dan Kathy's. <laughs> what not- I probably do is I probably have us pull off and find a state or county park and have a picnic. Oh, so you've already got the food with you? Well, we have a camper, so we we travel with our camper quite oh. a bit. You got. You said Tennessee, and I said, oh, I, boom. Roan Mountain State Park. That's where we're oh, going wow. in June. We love that, you know. And uh, yeah, so. So do you? Uh, do you just keep bread and peanut butter with you all the time, and you're ready to go? Yeah, keep it all stocked up, ready to go, man. Very cool. Very cool. So, what is the movie? If you were, this is old school. Let's say you're flipping through a TV, cable TV, not streaming, and not getting to choose what you want, and you're flipping channels, and you and Patsy all of a sudden come across some movie. What movie would suck you in every time, no matter where it is in the movie? You're like, we're finishing this one. Jason Bourne. Anything with Jason oh, Bourne, wow. buddy. Okay. So you're a Matt Damon yeah. guy with those those movies, huh? Anything with CIA, special ops, SEAL team, black covert ops. You know, I, I love that stuff. Wow. That's- also political and intrigue. I think there was a Ben Affleck. Um, oh yeah, Russell Crowe movie that was very intriguing, as I recall. Yeah, so were you I big? Were you a big fan of The Fugitive? Yes, absolutely. That that's a movie. It's not the movie I would say, but for me, The Fugitive is one. Yeah. If I stumble across it, you know, depending on what, especially if he's on the train or whatever, and he gets off and he starts shaving his. Oh, that's that's really good stuff. So, so how about you? Um, your movie. You know what? I was a big Billy Crystal fan, and I like Billy Crystal a lot. I would say. I used to say when Harry met Sally in a minute, but then I kind of started going towards city slickers. There's so many great teachable life moments and and doing what I do with men. I just relate to what Daniel Stern's character and Billy Crystal's character and uh, Bruno Kirby's character. I deal with a lot of guys. I feel like they go through that. So over the years I've evolved from one Billy Crystal movie to another. Good. So here, here's the, uh, the last one I like to do and I'll be interested big time in who you say for this. Pat, who was your first celebrity crush? Um, oh, my. Celebrity crush. Well, it would have been a woman. That's good to hear. And um, I can't remember my first one, but uh, one that comes to my mind is, uh, I don't even know how to say her name, but Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. 
when she sang Betty Davis eyes in a, uh, in a movie with, uh, it was about karaoke singing. Okay. And, uh, Huey Lewis, I think was in the oh, movie. Wow. Okay. I can't remember. But, there you go. Um, yeah. So she had a couple of parts where she did, you know, sweet things. And I don't even know what kind of person she is, but yeah. Uh, yeah. See, I, the, what I love about that question is it really, you tend to tell a person's age or generation, but it just, I feel like I always get insight into people that they maybe say an answer. If they're close to my age, it's definitely an answer I would have given, like, you know, Maureen McCormick, who was Marsha Brady, or Elizabeth Shue, or someone like that. Or they'll just throw you a curveball, and it's someone like you even haven't, haven't heard of in a long time, or you have to think about who it was, and then you're Googling, looking up a picture, or what did they do for their career, that type of thing. So it's, a, it's an interesting question. So. That's um, an interesting question. Let's uh, let's get back into this. So you you've just redone your book, The Four Voices, which, if I remember correctly, is your most current book, right? Yes. So we uh, came out with The Four Voices uh, last year and put it straight into our books by the box program, where we put them in cases of twelve and forty eight, and then sell them for really really low prices, and then churches buy them, men buy them, small groups buy them. We've done that multiple times, by the way. We've bought your uh, books in a box a number of times. Yeah, it's been that's been a phenomenal program. But uh, this 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 is the expanded edition of the Four Voices. Added a chapter in there on cultivating a sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So, for those of you who are listening, uh, it's real simple. This book is really quite simple. We all know that we have a running conversation with ourselves all day long. We call it self-talk, and we need self-talk. However, we are not the only voice in the conversation. There are four other voices that are constantly exerting themselves to influence what we think, say, and do. Those four voices are the world, the flesh, the devil, and the Holy Spirit. Your job, our job, is to figure out which voice is speaking and then take control of the conversation. And so the early returns on this book were so phenomenal. A man who, for example, only has an eighth grade education had never read a book in his adult life, read the book, and he, for the first time in his life, understood the voices of the flesh. There are three main temptations to talk about in the book, but I'll tell you what they are. You know, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And he, for the first time in his entire life, understood that the operating principle of his life was pride of life, pride. And he understood how that voice spoke to him and figured out how he could begin to substitute the voice of the Holy Spirit or counter that voice with the voice of the Holy Spirit and had a transformation. I mean, a complete transformation of his life. And so we get, we've gotten so many of these stories. I decided that, I okay, well, let's go ahead and expand the book a little bit and put it out as a trade book. So the first time it came out, we didn't even put it into the trade. We just put it into the book, directly into the Books by the Box program. Now you can buy it on Amazon. Well, you can pre-order it. It comes out June 1. You can uh, pre-order it now on, on Amazon in the in the trade book with this extra chapter. Pretty cool, huh? Well, and I appreciate your focus in this book on the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit for me is something I've really tried to grow in in the last couple years. I feel like week to week, month to month, that might be as much of a focus I've had. I'm around a lot of people. I get to interact, connect, network with a lot of people. And like I said, not take for granted the girl working behind the counter. 
at Panera, the guy waiting on me at the bank or whatever, just saying, okay, what's, all right, Lord, how can I encourage them? Where do you need me to speak life? Do you have a word for them? Whatever. And I've tried to really grow in that. What has worked for you over the years? And maybe even what's something more recently where you've grown in that, you know, training as you maybe called it with just being sensitive to how Holy Spirit's working in a moment. So overarching would be this idea that sensitivity to the Holy voice of the Holy Spirit is possibly the most distinguishing characteristic of a biblical Christian. That's the, that's the overarching statement. I tell you though, uh, more recently, I have six uh, rote, R-O-T-E prayers, six rote prayers that I pray every day. And the first of them is to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how I come to meet with and abide in you, our much loved, and then for the Father, Creator, Sustainer, Redeemer, for Jesus, Savior, Lord, and Teacher, and then for the Holy Spirit, Helper, Intercessor, Power, and Guardian. So these four roles that the Spirit has uh, for us are so sweet to me. So he's our Helper, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, said Jesus, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've told you. So he's our helper, he's our teacher, he's our reminder. What a precious thought. So when you have, uh, when you're with in front of that young lady at, at the Panera, wherever, and you, you know, you're prompted with something to say, uh, that's the spirit, you know, who, who is uh, helping, teaching, reminding you. And then intercessor, he's interceding for us. Uh, Romans 8, uh, what, 24 to 26 or 26 and 27, something like that. Basically that the, the spirit is interceding for you and me and you listening. He's interceding for us all the time with words so deep that groans cannot express. He who knows the, the mind of the spirit who searches our hearts is interceding for us with grown so deep that words cannot express in accordance with God's will. I mean, this is unbelievable. And then he is our power. We, we know in Acts 1, 8, you, you will receive power when the spirit comes upon you, but just all the power in the world is available. All of God's omnipotence is available to us. I mean, we couldn't handle all of it at one time, but, and then he's our guardian. He, he's the one who watches over us. And just to spend time each day meditating each day a little bit, uh, a little bit different thrust, but on those different characteristics, those different roles, if you will, those are roles of the Holy Spirit, R-O-L-E-S, roles of the Holy Spirit. So he's helper, he's intercessor, he's uh, power, he's guardian. And just to meditate upon them. And it's fascinating because when, when I do that, it's like most of us guys, if you're listening, gals too, if most of our lives are spent in the physical bubble that's restricted by our line of sight. But when we go to God in prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to tutor our hearts, it's like taking a box cutter that physical bubble that we walk around in it, and all of a sudden, it's like a, it's like it was like I was a little chick pecking away at the inside of the egg, and all of a sudden, it broke through the egg, and the the shell fell off. I looked around, I said, 
whoa, I had no idea all this was out here. And that's what uh, getting in touch with the Holy Spirit can do for us. Wow. That's, I think it's so weird because I think Holy Spirit for most of us, you know, whether it's an age thing and maybe we struggle with this more when we're younger, it's like we're not afraid of God. We might be a little afraid of Jesus. I mean, God's kind of universal in word. Jesus is much more personal, Savior, Lord, treasure. But Holy Spirit just, and I know I struggled with this for years, was just kind of weird, couldn't make sense of it. And I feel like you've made some stuff in language that are very accessible. I like the way you've defined God, Jesus, Holy Spirit there. And I just think there's a lot for us to lean in. So I really hope as people hear this, you know, I've always said I do this, whether this is just my conversation with you and nobody listens, but as people listen to this, I really hope they lean into some of, of, of what you've said here. Pat, I don't want to skip out on something I've told you before has really meant a lot to me over the years. You wrote in the book, Pastoring Men, great book for, for men to read, talking about the men you get to shepherd, pour into whatever. You have a, a letter in there that you made up that is a letter that any man at any given point could write to his pastor and hand over to him on a Sunday. And I've yeah. used that as a resource probably more than about anything I've ever used to speak on. So I give you credit every time, just so you know, I never make it mine. It's always yours. But that letter just says a lot. And it's basically this guy that's not trying to fail, but life being life, his roles at work, his life with the family, his life in the community, he's just, he's, he's not got enough time. He's not got enough energy. He's dying on the vine in some way. How is that letter that you would have a random guy give to a pastor that you wrote in that book, how is that more relevant in 2022 than when you actually wrote it? Well, uh, I'll turn that around. How relevant is the book of Ecclesiastes today <laughs> compared to when Solomon wrote it 3,500 years ago? Very, very relevant. Yeah. You're not going anywhere else with it than that? <laughs> I was expecting a whole lot more from that. I didn't mean for you to go well, 10 minutes long, but I didn't mean for it to be that short either. <laughs> well, the culture has changed, right? But the core affections of the human heart have not changed. So what men need and what men want for their lives ultimately is exactly the same as it's always been. We want identity. We want to lead meaningful lives. We want a sense of purpose. We want our lives to matter, to make a difference. We want to make a contribution, to lead significant lives. We want to have meaningful relationships. We want to be good husbands and fathers if we have children and get married. And, and uh, we want to make a contribution to our communities and the greater good. These are universals. And these things have not changed. So the way the, like the cultural interests and cultures change, you know, different, the issues that were important 25 years ago are not, they're still important, but other issues have replaced them as the high priority with a different generation. And that's fine. But ultimately, here it is, here it is, here it is. The single greatest contribution we can make to a, a young man or an older man is to help him change the core affections of his heart. Hmm. And that's what's being expressed in that letter is just how those core affections are in flux, disrupted. He's confused, that man. He doesn't know how to put it all together. And he's crying out to his pastor, help me, help me. Yeah, yeah. Part of that, too, is I think in this day and age, I think it's so, you know, I had a, a phone call with one of my board members on the way here. And one of the things we were talking about is how trying to figure out leadership development and really investing in our leaders who lead 
our small groups, we have about two dozen, we call them locker rooms, is what is the best thing we need to do to invest in our leaders? Is it to help show them how to run good groups? Is it to just give them encouragement and feed their own personal soul? And I think regardless of what it is for all of us, and kind of to your point, is men are just saying, help me, help me. How do we come alongside and help them? The challenge I find from my personal time and personal ministry is feeding and helping the guys that really need and want it. Some guys will say it, and it's just language they use, and they have no intent to do anything with it. They just want to say it and move on and just hope life changes. And, of course, that's the old definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. But, um, Pat, you've been very gracious with your time. I want to ask you one last question. I think we could talk all day, and I'd chew it up and be grateful for it. We could talk all day. You're talking about, at the very beginning, you talked about 35 years – of reading the Bible through every year. You talked about other disciplines and healthy habits that you have that have clearly gotten you to where you are today. What are you right now in 2022, or maybe there's a longer fairway for this, but what are you becoming? That's a question I love to ask myself and other people is what are you, what is God doing in what you're becoming? What do you see yourself becoming? Uh, more and more a man of prayer. I think that over the last, well, I don't think I know, over the last 10 years, God has really given me a, a ministry of prayer. I take one day a week and uh, fast and uh, a 24 hour fast. I have a couple protein shakes because I, you know, work. But then I take a, you know, at a point usually when I'm a little hungry or and, and or a little tired, I will pray and I have 74 children who are either unchurched, dechurched, nuns or duns, and who uh, whose parents I have a relationship with. So I pray for the the, uh, the the children who are not walking with God, and then also for their parents. And then over the years, I've, I've added some other things. So I have a few hundred people that I pray for. But I just uh, I'm really committed to the ministry of prayer. And I tell you, I, I think I probably got this idea from Dr. Bill Bright with Crew. Uh, I was on the, I was on their uh, you know, board of directors for a decade with uh, Bill and and at the end of his life he said one day that he felt like God had, was increasingly calling him to the ministry of prayer and it stuck with me and I uh, I think I'm I'm not following in his footsteps. Wow, wow. Yep. Again, I'm just highly encouraged. Um, you know, the, the several times now, two like this where we've we've done it for quote unquote, an audience. Um, I've really appreciated and valued time. You know, I come from the mindset that I've been blessed to have a lot of in front of me meeting, coffee shop, restaurant, retreat, road trip, concert, comedy club type of interaction with people who are mentors. And I have interaction with people like you, where I just feel like, man, this last hour, you have, you have discipled me. And, uh, I don't, I don't say that lightly. I really say that with, um, you know, I think meat to some bones and there's some things you've said that I really want to kind of outline and get, I try to do some significant time away with the Lord, either personal or on retreats each month. Uh, my board has been very gracious and allowed me to go on a retreat a month, typically with other guys, sometimes by myself. And, uh, there's some, there's some things you've shared today. That's going to be things I do business with in the, the weeks to come. So Pat, I just, I, w- I want to affirm to you what you've done for men. I mean, I, doing what I'm doing and I've been doing it for 14 and a half years, you know, I'm not doing what I'm doing probably without you. I'm not doing what I'm doing without Promise Keepers. And, you know, whatever level we've had fruit in the Miami <clears> Valley, <throat> I think there's definitely fruit that when we, we get to heaven someday, people will be able to say, you know, there was a book back in the day 
or a way that Pat Morley and Man in the Mirror partnered with us, helped shape, whatever, that you know, I can't affirm you enough with that. Well, thank you for that. Well, I would say this, and if you're listening, there is one men's ministry, and it belongs to God. Amen. Amen. So we're just all doing little different parts of the work in different parts of the vineyard. So you're over there in, in the uh, Miami Valley doing what you're doing. I'm down here in Orlando doing what I'm doing. Some people writing books, some people doing seminars, some people doing small groups, some people doing one-on-ones, some people serving. And by the way, if you're not doing one of those things, then you're the person we're talking about all the time. <laughs> you're the person that we'd like to help. There's no greater problem today in the church than the problem of spiritual obesity. Mm. The average Christian today has been gorging for a quarter of a century on this, all this wonderful teaching. And uh, so we have an entire generation of spiritual overeaters out there. The, 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 the average Christian today does not need more food. He needs more exercise. Wow. Amen. Yeah. So if people wanted to find out more, they would go to Amazon, type in Pat Morley books. They would go to maninthemirror.org. Where else would they want to find you? Yeah, you can get the book anywhere. And uh, yeah, Amazon, just put in the four voices. Well, you put in my name as well. But uh, the four voices is the name of the book. And hey, take a look. You never know. Well, and the box and the books thing on the Man in the Mirror website is a great thing too, because for people who don't know about that, there's obviously quite a few of your books on there, but there's some other books as well. Case for Christ, I think is one of them. I'm, I don't know. I haven't looked at it in, in recent time, but I know Case for Christ was one of the books that was on there. So there's other books as well. Yeah, we've uh, had most of the big authors in there at one time or another. We rotate them. We, we always keep a Man in the Mirror and maybe, well, and now Four Voices is in there. Maybe How God Makes Men is in there. I'm not sure what else is in there, but yeah, they we change it once a year. So Sure. Well, thanks again, friends. Until another episode, it's been great having you join us today with Patrick Morley, Man in the Mirror, and a whole lot of other things. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.